Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. So I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, this is someone I've wanted to get on the podcast for a really long time. I met him because we were kind of fighting. We were fighting online in the DMs, and then we became friends, and then we became allies. And now I just fucking love him. And he is a real blessing in the world I believe. His name is Dr. Joshua Woolrich. He is an NHS doctor in the United Kingdom. He has a passion for helping people improve their relationship with food. He is one of very few men in the industry who's actually addressing weight stigma and diet culture. And he's often on Instagram combating nutrition misinformation and fad diets, all the while reminding us that there's more to health than just our weight. Now, this is someone who used to struggle with eating disorders. This is someone who then even had an Instagram account that was very fat phobic and dedicated to to kind of sharing, I'm not going to say misinformation, but uh, not ideal information about food and meals and the virtue around food. And he's now completely shifted gears to becoming such an incredible ally in the fight against fat phobia, the fight against diet culture. And because he's actually someone who is studying this, I mean, he's doing a nutrition master's at the moment and he is dedicating his entire life to this. And he's an actual doctor who went to actual medical school. We couldn't have someone better on our side, especially considering that doctors can sometimes be some of the biggest enemies and and uh, perpetrators of fat phobia and they often, you know, this is something we talk a lot about in this episode, they often can be responsible for harming the health of other people because they are so fat phobic and ignorant about weight loss and and body fat and the BMI. And so to have a doctor finally on our side just feels so incredible. And this is a long episode because it's packed with information. Like there was nothing I could cut. There was nothing I wanted to cut. Every single thing he said, everything we talked about was so vital to hear. Uh, I want to offer a, a trigger warning because there is a lot of mention of eating disorders. There is a lot of discussion about diet. There is a lot of discussion about weight loss um, techniques, I guess, but all because we are debunking them and talking about the dangers of them. Uh, it's a hugely informative uh, episode and and one that I, I wish I'd had so much when I was 12 years old. And I just felt so excited the whole time he was talking because it was just fact after fact after fact that was confirming all of my fears about what I have done to my body, what we are doing to our bodies, what billionaires are profiting off of us doing to our bodies. Uh, it's just, it's just so good. And, and I do just want to warn you that at one point early on in the episode, we talk a lot about the causes of people being fatter, of people gaining weight and the socioeconomic reasons behind that and all the different reasons, the mental health reasons or the, the, the genes, the genetics, uh, that can lead to that. And 
I don't want you to start listening to that thinking that we are in any way being like, oh, it's not their fault that they're fat as if fat is a bad thing to be or fat is an unhealthy thing to be. Push through because we get we get to the point of explaining that that is just something that is important to to know about factually so we can confront how reckless the medical industry is, how reckless the government is, how reckless the diet industry is for deliberately ignoring all of these important socioeconomic or mental health or health factors that lead to our, uh, to every generation having more and more people be on average much bigger than the generation before them. So it's a lot about the dangers of detox and diet influences and all of the crazes that are currently taking hold over on Instagram and TikTok right now. And it's just a giant debunking of the predatory, misinformational, vile, disgusting diet industry that both of us are going to dedicate the rest of our lives to trying to destroy. And so this is Dr. Joshua Woolrich. He has a book out called Food Isn't Medicine. And this episode is a great sample of the kind of thing you would find in that book. But the book's excellent. Once I picked it up, I couldn't put it down. And uh, I'm just thrilled he's here. So I love you. And if you have been triggered by the onslaught of fat phobia that has occurred throughout in almost in particular during this pandemic, and you are having troubling feelings about your body, you are feeling guilty about the way that you look, you feel as though you must be lazy because maybe you've gained weight, or you are considering starting any one of these vile fad diets that do not work and only harm you, then maybe this episode is coming along just at the right time. Because I... I lost 20 years of my life to diet culture and to eating disorders, and I'm going to spend every moment I can trying to stop anyone else from making such a tragic mistake. If I could take it all back, I would in a heartbeat. And because I can't, I'm going to try and stop you from doing the same thing. So uh, from Joshua Woolrich and myself, with love, this is a great episode about everything diet. Joshua Woolrich, welcome to I Way. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm all right. I'm not bad, thank you. I am, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you and, and it's an honour. Oh, thank you. Likewise, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, I was, uh, we were talking about this uh, on the phone yesterday, but it's so funny that the first time I came across you is because, is because at first people were, were sending me links to your Instagram because they were angry because they found your Instagram very fat phobic. You had an Instagram account, I think at the time called unfattening and, yeah. uh, and there was a lot of fat phobic content coming out of it. Very, uh, you know, it was, I think it came from, uh, a place of wanting to educate people and help people. And you've made a very kind of sharp turn in a different direction over the last couple of years, right in front of my very eyes. And now I see you as one of my strongest allies and people I go to for advice and people that I look up to for um, for, sa- for sound guidance when it comes to tackling fat phobia and tackling the diet industry. And I feel like we're very much so side by side. 
in this fight. And it has been a thrill Mm. to watch you make that transformation so fast and also be so humble in owning where that previous fat phobia came from and to be so open in your story. You have a book called Food Isn't Medicine and you reference a lot of that story in that book. And I want to get into that in a bit, but you are a a great example. I'm a big lover and big fan of people who are willing to change uh, in front of everyone else and show everyone their workings out. It's definitely something that I try to stand for. And I really admire the fact that you have done that and and gone on to become such uh, an important voice on the internet. So thanks. <laughs> I, I, I'm not good at compliments. So I don't oh, no. really know how to respond to that. Um, um, thank you. I, I mean, I, I'd love to say that it was all deliberate, but a, a lot of it at the beginning was kind of accidental as I was finding my way into new realms of things that I wasn't quite sure how to navigate. Um, more recently, it's been quite deliberate to kind of address certain things that I used to believe and and kind of just apologise publicly for some of them because i do think that it that it matters i think uh, uh, there is uh, there are a lot of people that are quite um scared of admitting that they've been wrong about stuff um and uh, and i think a lot of that is is really important that we kind of encourage people to have a space to be able to do that because i think if we don't we're just going to have a whole generation still of people who are unwilling to be wrong and when they realize that they've got something wrong, they'll never talk about it. And it doesn't encourage anybody else. Or so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that now, but it definitely was a, was an accidental fall into change initially. So, okay. So before we talk about how you made that shift from unfattening to now being uh, such a strong ally to uh, the sort of the, the anti-diet culture community. Mm. Can we can we go back a bit through your story and and mm. can you talk to me about your journey with your body? You're one of very few male voices out there talking about body image. Um, and so I, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your your childhood and where your original fat phobia and issues with food and interest yeah. in food came from. Yeah, it's it's something that I am still um, exploring and still coming to realizations about. Um, but a lot of it, um, I have I have realized over the last couple of years as I've been trying to work out where some of this stuff came from and and why I believed certain things. Um, and I, uh, for those of for those people who don't know me, I, I sound relatively middle class, and you would be correct for thinking that I'm relatively middle class and grew up in a nice area. Um, you sound but posh I had the middle these, class. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I would, I'd call myself middle class. I think I just right, yeah, I, yeah. middle class with a good accent. That's what I'm. That's what I'm claiming. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I grew up with, um, with quite large elements of food insecurity, which I'd, I'd never really realized until more recently. Um, and a lot of that, if not all of that was because of the fact that my dad was an alcoholic. Um, and so when I was kind of early teenager going into kind of mid teens, like 13, 14, um, there were periods of time where, um, I specifically remember him getting drunk to the extent where he didn't remember whether or not he'd fed me and my, and my two siblings. Um, mm-hmm. and so we'd be sent to bed being told that we'd eaten and you couldn't really argue, uh, in that kind of fashion that just wasn't going to go down well is the polite way of putting it. Um, yeah. and so I'd just go to bed hungry. And as a 13 year old boy, 
that wasn't something that I was willing to accept. I was like, that's not okay. Like I, I want food. <laughs> like, yeah. I love food. It's not like, um, didn't really have a huge amount of money to be buying food. So I developed a, a knack of um, stealing full tubes of Pringles from the corner shop near my house. I'm not quite sure how I never got caught doing that. Um, I don't, I don't recommend it <laughs> or um, I'm also not proud of it, but uh, it was just something that at the time I didn't really think like twice about. I didn't really think about the fact it was bad. It just seemed to make sense. I was like, well, I don't have food. I, I need food. And so I would stash these tubes of Pringles in my bedroom and I'd be sent to bed without food and I'd just eat a tube of Pringles. And then my mum would get home and I'd complain that I hadn't eaten and she'd give me dinner as well. And so I'd, I was this 13, 14 year old boy who was having double dinners um, and unsurprisingly put on weight. Um, and I ended up that ended up being what I considered to be kind of a defining factor of my, of my school life from then onwards, um, being bullied for it, being picked on. There was, it was always a consistent theme throughout, right? Like sometimes people come across bullies and you can't really, um, avoid that necessarily, but whether or not it was, my hair was too short, my hair was too long. I didn't have any friends or I had the wrong friends. I knew that being called fat was always going to be a consistent every single day. Um, right. And it just became something that I kind of took on to myself as well, this, that's what I am. Um, and I hated it and I didn't, I, I wanted it to change and I would complain and I'm cry to my mom that, you know, I, I wanted to lose weight and you know, asking her tips and she wasn't very good at giving me them, but you know, I'm 14. This is, <laughs> I don't blame her, but um, uh, I, but that kind of stayed. And so even though I, I stopped eating double dinners, like that was, that was kind of the body size that I then lived at. And I went through um, the rest of my schooling and then into medical school and university being, being the fat kid, being the fat guy. I got to the end of medical school and I believed when I graduated that I couldn't be a good doctor because I was fat. Um, and it was a really weird time for me because up until then, I'd always just thought I wasn't um, attractive because I was fat or I wasn't worthy of having friends because I was fat or, you know, any multitude of different things where I was lazy because I was fat or I just couldn't be bothered. I wasn't trying hard enough, all this kind of stuff. I remember lazy being a specific word that I always thought of myself. Um, and I think a lot of it stemmed from kind of being told that because of my size, um, despite getting good grades and getting to medical school and passing all that I clearly couldn't have been too lazy. Um, but I got, I got, I graduated medical school and I, I honestly thought that I couldn't be a good doctor. And I thought it was going to be a limiting factor in my, my desire to be, to be a good doctor, my desire to do well for my patients. Because of the um, equation that, that thin equals healthy, fat equals unhealthy. So you wanted to be exactly. sort of a, a walking example of health so that you feel like people would be able to put their faith in you that you know explicitly yeah. what healthy is. I mean, there's so much wrong with that full stop. Not oh, only not only the, the fat unhealthy bit, but also the whole kind of personal responsibility of I must be, I, I owe it to other people to be healthy myself, even if that was the defining factor. There's there's lots there that I, we, we, I'm sure we might touch on, but it was, it was weird. I just felt like a hypocrite. And the thing that went through my head at the time was, I felt like I was a, I was someone running a stop smoking service, but I was that person out the back smoking before I was running the sessions. Mm -hmm. And that's such a bad analogy, but actually it's a really common one. And it's one that, I mean, over the last few years, anyone that's come across the, um, the, the cancer research UK 
um, obesity campaigns that they've done over the last few years have seen that this whole associating body size with cigarettes is actually something that is a, an ongoing theme as well, um, even mm-hmm. though it's it's horrifically stigmatizing and, and completely inaccurate. But it was it was how I felt. And, I, and that was how the unfattening account on Instagram got started. Because I, <laughs> I thought, I thought, well, what do you do when you want to lose weight? You start an Instagram account, right? And that's, that's how this works. I was yeah, like, I will use shame. Yeah. yeah, but through shame. I will use shame yeah. as a method of accountability. And well, shame's my amazing. Friends... Like, shame works all the time. It's done a great <laughs> to an job. Extent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Temporarily. And then it backfires because yeah. you're doing it through guilt. And it's, and nothing's, yeah, it was, I wouldn't recommend it. Please don't, please don't follow it. Um, but that, that was, that's kind of like a, a whistle stop background as to how I ended up becoming someone who started a weight loss account. And then weirdly loads of people wanted to follow me because I posted pictures of, I posted pictures of good looking food at the time. I was very confused as to that was happening, which is why I kind of label myself an unintended influencer because it was never my plan. It was purely for my friends to tell me off when I ate food that I deemed unhealthy or bad. You know, it's, yeah. (laughs) Bloody hell. Can I ask you something? So there's so much rampant uh, and terrifying fat phobia in the medical industry where Mm. like it's happened to me, it's happened to loads of my friends where because of our size, doctors ignore our symptoms and attribute instantly everything to our weight. So any kind of joint issues, any kind of period issues, or uh, if if you are gaining a lot of weight, um, they, they're less likely in, in the experience of myself and a lot of my friends and now people I've met on the internet, less likely to investigate any kind of hormonal imbalance or different kind of, mm. you know, imbalance or the presence of leptin or, you know, the history of your family, uh, they'll just immediately shame you about your lifestyle and, and give you kind of quick fix advice as to how to remedy the evil that is your fat. So is the, as a, as someone who was a medical student, is that something that's, that's infused into the young doctors? Like where does this, where does that fat phobia start? Are you taught that at medical school? Why is it so prevalent in the medical industry? Yeah. So I mean, I, it's not just you. Re- research agrees with you too. Like research states very clearly that that people um, who live at a larger size, larger body size, are subject to poorer medical care. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, which is horrific. There, there's mm-hmm. no excuse for any of this kind of stuff. In terms of why, I it, I don't know. It is so. Are you odd taught it there me. at school? So it's not. It's we're definitely not. Uh, uh, we're definitely not taught the opposite and, and healthcare in general, um, in, in the kind of Western world. And I would probably argue more globally too, but I'm not, I'm not privy to, to how it's taught all around the globe, um, is taught in a very weight centric manner, meaning that we consider weight to be a defining factor in someone's health. And we consider it to be something that is, um, that is important to address first and foremost. And that's not necessarily said explicitly, at medical school, it's not necessarily something that is taught specifically, but it's it's implied and it's implicit teaching in the sense that th- those are the conclusions that are very easy and natural to draw and to come to based on the way that weight is discussed, based on the way that weight and health are talked about. Um, they're talked about with almost no nuance. And what I mean by that is it's very black and white. It's very much fat leads to being unhealthy, full stop. And there's no discussions, it definitely wasn't when I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, There were no discussions around 
that might be the case in certain circumstances, but here is lots of stuff that shows that it's not. And actually, this is a much bigger picture. And we need to be discussing this in a way that means that we're being good and appropriate healthcare professionals. There's none of that. It's just, there's a lot of implying of, um, I know that medical students, for example, and doctors tend to leave believing that fat patients are going to be less compliant. Um, and that's research-wise that has shown that. Um, what do believing you mean? That, Will you explain as, that as in, uh, As in, that we, so we still have an issue, um, and I, you talk a lot about, about the patriarchy and the way that our society is set up, mm. and I'm 100% on board with the fact that that is a huge issue still. And that issue continues throughout the medical profession. Um, it's not been that long in the grand scheme of things since women were allowed to be doctors. They're allowed to go to medical school, which is just... Uh, um, and at the same time, we also used to, not that long ago, practice medicine in a very patriarchal manner in the sense of, I am right, here is what's wrong with you, this is what you have to do, go away and do it. No discussion, no collaboration, no patient-doctor relationship. It was simply a, like, I'm going to act like your dad and this is what you do. Yeah. yeah. And that's not how we're taught it anymore. Definitely not. But there is some of that that continues and some of that that stays um, under the surface. Um, and I see a lot more of that around patients' weight and around patients' size than I do about a lot of other um, areas, a lot of other um, situations in medicine. And I think a lot of that is because we consider weight to be something that is a choice. We consider it, and by we, not just doctors, but society in general. Mm. And again, doctors are subject to all of this kind of stuff. They might have gone to medical school, but before medical school, they were subject to all of society's assumptions and and what they were told about weight and all this kind of stuff. So we're still people. Like we're still, this is still stuff we grow up learning and kind of it gets ingrained. Um, mm. And then we become responsible for someone's health. And we feel like it's then our responsibility to point this out to people that, well, you can fix this, you can change this, you can do this. And a lot of them come from very privileged backgrounds. We still have an issue with the fact that there, there is a, a pretty um, top loaded socioeconomic status when it comes to doctors and healthcare professionals in general. Um, and a lot of that means that in general, they tend not to have struggled as much with their weight. There's complexity there around poverty and body size, but especially in higher economic countries like the US, the UK, there is a clear kind of association between poverty and body size because of all sorts of reasons around food apartheid and inequality and all sorts of things. Can, um, we, can we just quickly delve a little bit further yeah, into that? Yeah, we're going that? through because loads I think of that's topics, really sorry. <laughs> no, no, I think that's really interesting. And I think that, um, and I think I've never considered the fact that part of why they are so boldly ignorant around the reasons behind people's differing body sizes and shapes is because they haven't actually lived with um, the inability to definitely access food, especially particularly, and I use this, you know, quote unquote, but nutritious food. You know, I grew up mm. extremely poor and there's no doubt that for the same price that you can get an organic chicken breast, you can get five packets of, of potato frozen smiley faces, you yeah. know, that are going to feed our family for much longer. And so yeah. our diet was a lot of just bread and frozen potato and frozen food and the sort of the Sainsbury's economics section of just like God knows what is in that 
fake bolognese. You know, like so that's what we ate. To sur- <laughs> that's what we ate. To survive. It's not that we bad went, to clarify. We went, no, 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 no. I'm just talking about in the in the nineties. It was yeah, pretty true. Do- pretty dodgy. It's, it's great now. Yeah, no disrespect now, but like you know, supermarkets in general. We were eating their cheapest food, and we were waiting till it was you know almost completely off. It had the little like sell today, or else it's not going to yeah, be edible. Yeah. Um, tomorrow and so we didn't really have a choice about what we ate we just ate whatever would keep us alive and it never occurred to me until you literally just said it now how how much that must impact their inability to be able to see beyond their own experience of course we weren't eating sea bass and green beans (laughs) (laughs) from from marks and spencers yeah from marks and spencers yeah (laughs) it's just like just have a good salad you know salads fucking it's like some of these things are fucking expensive and inaccessible Mm, mm. And when school meals are fucking trash. And this free Jamie Oliver coming in, you know, like it was just like Even thick now pasta covered in cheese, yeah, covered in cream. Yeah. And so, you know, I was a scholarship child, so I was just eating whatever they had as much of it as I could because I knew that there may not be a lot of food for dinner when I got home. Mm. And so uh, I would like to talk about more of the reasons why some people are bigger, you know, we've just discussed the, you know, the socioeconomic reasons, but also can you just briefly explain the fat gene, I guess it's called sometimes by people (laughs) colloquially on the internet, but the leptin or the DNA presence that can sometimes impact your body size. Like what are the things that impact people's body shape? How much time have we got? Because this is the thing, right? This, I mean, I'm uh, willing to go long with you. This doesn't just have to be an hour. If you've got longer, because I think this is so, so, so important. I've and we got have as an long opportunity as you want. to, to, um, to inform people who have been otherwise misinformed. Yeah. Well, I, I it's one of the things, and it's uh, poverty is a massive one, and it, people don't like a lot of the time when I bring that up because they, they kind of go, well, what? So you can't be fat unless you're poor, and therefore you're blaming fat on poor. I'm like, no, we're just clarifying that there is a big association here. And I think it's a very important thing to bring up because it gives a very clear picture as to just how much can sometimes be out of our control, regardless as to the conversations around whether or not it's actually, um, uh, whether it actually defines our health or not, which it doesn't. But even regardless of those conversations, our body size is not something that is a personal responsibility. Um, there was a big um, uh, report called the Foresight Report in 2007 in the UK, um, which was commissioned by the government. Um, and there were some very, very clever people that were running it. And they looked into all of the different factors that influenced um, energy balance, that influenced this whole it was essentially um, in response to the conversations of, oh, yes, but weight loss is simply as easy as eat less and move more, right? Like mm-hmm. that, those are the campaigns. Like, And so this was commissioned to go, well, is that actually true? Are we barking up the wrong tree? And they found over a hundred different factors that, 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 they, that they showed to directly influence the body size at which somebody lives. Um, and the overwhelming majority of those are not things that we consciously choose by any stretch of the imagination. Genetics is a big one, but there are loads of them that that, that impact that as well. Um, whether or not we feel hungry after, you know, how how uh, attuned we are to our hunger and our fullness is a big one, and a lot of that is is done by genetics. But again, a lot of that is is dependent on the type the the, the type of food and the kinds of foods that we're eating, which is one of the reasons why um, 
if we look at some of the the cheaper foods that are available in a in a in a capitalist society those highly processed foods which are not automatically bad for us but they don't really um they don't really kind of do well with Satisfy. our hunger and fullness cues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we, it's very easy to eat those kind of foods past the point of fullness to the point where you're physically uncomfortable. Like the last time you were physically uncomfortable with fullness, it wasn't, it wasn't with like fresh Salad. vegetables. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> it's just not the case because those kind of foods tend to have lots of fiber. They have lots of water in them and they, they fill you up in a different way. And it's easier to recognize when you're full. You take something that's been that's been highly processed and it's had a lot of the water taken out, the fibre taken out, still got nutrients in it, but it's much easier, like a tube of Pringles, it's much easier to just keep eating those. There's a reason why the whole slogan is once you pop, you just can't stop. Like, yeah. <laughs> hashtag not sponsored. But it's like, that is, there's a reason why that slogan's there because, yeah, you just you can just keep eating them. Also, um, the exercise conversation, like a lot of gyms, uh, in, in, especially up until recently, were inaffordable or some people are working mm. two or three or four jobs. Like, when do they have time to do the eat less, move more? They're eating on the go at work they don't have a lunch hour they are um extremely stressed uh i would like to ask you whether or not stress can have an impact on your Mm -hmm. size or your hormonal balance because i'm certainly not an expert um and they uh they don't have time to even go for a fucking walk they don't have any time for themselves and then there's also the mental health benefits of living you know near or below or around the poverty line where you're not even able to have the time or the sometimes the presence of mind, and I say this from personal experience, to to eat intuitively or to plan your fucking meals or to prioritize mm. nutrition because there's so much going on because your life is so deeply, yeah. deeply stressful. On, on the and scale traumatic. of importance, that that's yeah. lower down there. Like that, that's not what you want to be focusing and using that that little bit of mental capacity you have left with the fact that, you know, you're a single parent and you're looking after two kids and you've got three jobs and you're trying to just make ends meet, which is an awful number of people. Like you don't have the mental capacity to be planning, you know, freshly cooked meals or the time to do it or necessarily the actual kind of, um, uh, the actual capacity to, and, and, and I mean, specifically in regards to things like owning a cooker, these are things we don't consider whatsoever either. Mm. There are in the UK specifically, I'm not quite sure what the, what, what the, um, uh, the stats are in the US, but in the UK, you've got, you've, I think it's around 15 million people who live in areas that would be classified as food apartheid. And there are these big areas in the US as well, where the uh, a combination of things like poverty, public transport, lack of big supermarkets, they all mean that access to fresh fruit and vegetables is almost impossible. And you wouldn't think that in, in a country that considers itself to be a first world country, like, oh, look, we're mm-hmm. so good. A leader. Like, we, we, yeah, we're, nonsense. We have huge inequality when it comes mm-hmm. to things like that. And you, that, that's just one factor there. But then you combine that with the fact that there's many millions of people that don't have fridges, don't have freezers, don't have cookers. And you're telling them to go and buy fresh fruit and veg because that's really nutritious for them. And that's great. And they need to, they need to cook this meal. And here's a meal plan for you. It's just literally impossible. And that's just, again, just one factor on top of all of these things that, that we just we just don't even consider when we talk about this stuff. One of the best analogies I like to use is, is if you're talking about poverty and you told someone who was living in poverty, well, you just need to save more and spend less. 
you would you most people wouldn't say that they would realize that was ridiculous they would realize that that's a really mm. short-sighted stupid thing to say that just that just uh, increases stigma and makes people feel guilty and shame it's exactly the same thing exactly the same thing mm-hmm. but we don't consider that and I, and and i'm not quite sure why weight is one of the last things left where we don't where we believe we have this full control over it mm-hmm. um but but it is and to bring it back to that thing we were saying about doctors m- most doctors don't have experiences of that kind of stuff and i was in a weird way lucky and unlucky to have this unusual for the area in which I lived experience of food insecurity, which only now has given me some insight into understanding and only a limited insight. Cause again, it's, it was still a privileged element of food insecurity. Like it wasn't full on, like I just, my family can't afford food. It was different, but it still gave me that added, like, Oh, this, this is actually more complicated. This is not as simple as, I would have otherwise been brought up to believe where food is always there and I never have to think about it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Oh yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Our 
relationship with food starts as a kid. Like it's, it always does, whether or not we believe that our, that our upbringing was peachy or not. There's, there's always little bits and little elements there that, that impact how we look at food and yeah, how we coding treat around it. Yeah. How we treat, treat it, whether treat being the operative word, <laughs> even, like it's even a treat. That. Yeah. 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 What, treat, what we were taught pleasure. as we weren't allowed and what we were allowed and how much value was put on certain foods that we was deemed to be unhealthy. And were you allowed to go to McDonald's as a kid or not? You know, there's, there's so much stuff there that, that we just, we just ignore. Joshua, um, can I tell you something? I ate McDonald's. Yeah every day because my brother worked there i think until i was 21 every day from childhood till 21 i ate some mcdonald's every day i am, what was your favorite I that's the most important question Ronald here. mcdonald obviously a fucking <laughs> like big mac or milkshake or <laughs> chicken nuggets i use the word chicken very loosely um it's the days I, before uh, before yeah, wraps were actually i think it's why i look so much younger than i am because i'm full of preservatives like i think i will <laughs> i'm 62 years i'm 62 years old like wow, i'm never going to yeah doing very I'm just well full of e-numbers and preservatives when i die i will not decompose but yeah i uh, i completely understand and by the way just to be very very clear we are talking about these important issues because they are things that need to be discussed and need to be explained and you cannot just magic away someone's body type whatever that body type is i Mm. also have friends who are extremely skinny and everyone's like oh can't you just eat more we are definitely not saying oh it's not their fault they're fat it's because they're poor like that's not what this conversation is supposed to be we're just talking about the literal inequalities that never get addressed Mm. by the fucking Mm. government they never get addressed by uh the government who have caused this tremendous inequality um and this wealth gap they never get addressed by magazines they never get addressed by influencers you know currently i'm in a i'm in a marvel show and because of that i have a trainer i have like four trainers who make me who make me come into work (laughs) you know five days a week and exercise and so my mental health has completely changed and my decisions about what i'm putting into my body have changed in that i'm eating for as much energy as physically possible i'm not just eating for what's going to make me feel better after a stressful day i'm like how am i going to be able to train more tomorrow um but if i didn't have these fucking people who i was being forced to go and see every day and it's being paid for by someone else uh my body or my strength or my balance wouldn't be where it currently is right now so I'm sure it's fucking shit not going to now go onto the front cover of a bunch of magazines being like, hey, you guys should try and look like me. Um, you know, no, it's easy. why not? Here's but a, that's what everyone six, does. Here's a six week plan. It's just like, no, this is completely the second Marvel finishes. I'm not fucking doing any of this. I'm not doing any of this. I'm not eating this much fucking protein. And I'm not going to move my body this much. No and more then my eggs body won't look again. like that anymore. I'm done with eggs. Uh, and so my point just being that like, I'm, we are both so, I think we are both so frustrated with this conversation about privilege, inequality and, and health and DNA and hormones and leptin yeah. and ghrelin and all these different things that, that, um, influence the way that your body looks we're just frustrated that that conversation is being Mm. had isn't being had sorry but what we both definitively agree on is also that being fat for whatever reason does not mean you are an unhealthy person does not mean you are an unethical person does not mean you are a lazy person it is not something that that we are trying to excuse in any way it doesn't need an excuse this is only just one example to kind of 
try and prompt people to think about the complexity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's trying to add some of that nuance that was so dreadfully missing for me at medical school. None of this stuff was discussed. And it's not to say that if somebody, if your friend is, is larger than you, it means that they must have had something occur in their childhood. That's not, that's not a requirement. Yeah. It's just to show that sometimes that is what has led to a change in our body size. There are lots of things that lead to our body size being different. This is just one of them. So the it's a national poverty is increase. just one of them. It's a national increase in body yeah. size. I mean, we can't get around the fact that we are all, as, a, as, a, as countries in general, increasing in our, in our body size over the years. And there are lots of things that influence that. And one of the biggest, in my humble opinion, is the food environment in which we live. But that's something that can only be addressed from the top down. That's only mm-hmm. something that can be addressed from, from a government level in regards to the way that our food environment is set up. But to talk about that, we have to talk about socioeconomics and poverty because that's one of the biggest drivers of how these companies get in and make money through the food environment. And so yeah. it, it, this isn't, again, I, I completely agree with you and really worth bringing that up, that this isn't to say that everybody who's fat has had something occur in their childhood or has some trauma or, oh, well, we just need to find the trauma and then they won't be fat anymore. That's not how this works. It's just to create some added nuance to this conversation and stuff to touch on this stuff that never normally gets talked about, that never no. normally gets acknowledged. Well, if it if it was talked about and if it was acknowledged, then there wouldn't be a multi, multi, multi tens of billion dollar diet industry. The reason this conversation is so important is because we are able to undercut or just like cut through their fucking bullshit because what they are doing is deliberately not informing you about the genetic or the socioeconomic or the emotional or whatever um, or how b- bullshit the BMI is, which we will discuss in a second. Um, they, they or the fact that it's been 18 months of a pandemic and therefore for a lot of people, your body size has increased because you've survived the mental stress of the last 18 months or 15 months, however long it's been, it feels like yeah. a long time. But that yeah. is normal. And instead of talking about you are doing really well and actually you have used food as or may have used food as more of a coping mechanism over the last 15 months to what you are used to because we all have different mechanisms by which we cope with stress and food is a really good one and an well, amazing one. Well, you stayed in, by the way, you stayed in <laughs> to save well. other people's yeah. lives. Um, Your lifestyle point- has changed. Like, it's, yeah. that's normal. They're not going to tell you that. They're just going to say, oh, well, it's just an even worsening of this epidemic we have around body size. No, it's not. No, like, that's it's just, bollocks. <sighs> it's bollocks, but they want they want to be able to tell you it's there's no reason for it. It's definitely your fault. It's definitely bad. And they make you feel like it's an emergency. That's why everything is all quick fix. Everything is all yeah. fad diet. It's like lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Like in your first week, you'll lose 10 pounds. They never tell you it's just water. You're just horribly dehydrated. Like they you've refused um, to eat carbs. That's all yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you, uh, so they make, this fat that they don't tell you the cause of and they make it seem like an emergency or something that has to be gotten rid of and then they sell you these intermittent fasting apps and these diets and this keto this and keto that and and restrictive food patterns that can honestly and I say this again from experience as we know it's why the fucking podcast is called I weigh like I've been I'm I spent 20 years of 35 years on this planet with an eating disorder, with a severe, severe eating disorder. Once you slip into the world of diet culture, the deep, dark, manipulative, um, misinforming and corrupt 
diet industry. Once you allow that to suck you in, it's very hard to pull yourself out sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it can very easily slip into eating disorders. And so that's why conversations like this are so important. Talk to me about why the BMI is uh, such bollocks, please. (laughs) Um, Well, it's just a terrible measure of A, actual fat and B, health. Because mm-hmm. because fat isn't a good measure of health either. Um, I, I I often like to be quite clear at the beginning of some of these conversations because there are there there's a tendency to hear um, people say that that fat can have no impact on health whatsoever, and I, I, I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. I don't think we have evidence to show that fat is irrelevant. But we do have a lot of evidence to show it's very complicated. And just because it might be having an impact on your health, it doesn't mean that it justifies any of what is going on at all. Um, but an important bit of nuance that is rarely discussed is where that fat is in the body. And BMI has zero ability to tell you where this weight that is simply your relationship with the earth and gravity is bone, muscle, fat, your brain... All of this kind of stuff, it's, it's just a random number. I don't have a very was... heavy brain. My brain is very light. <laughs> full of water, though. It's quite heavy. I it's good. Full of no. eggs at the moment. It's just full of all the diet shakes that I had as a teenager. Oh. <laughs> Shrunk the brain. Um, but it's, yeah, it's I... just a scale. The, the at, at best, to give it a little bit of, to, to give you the nuance, because I do like that word and I like the fact that, and I think it's important. At best, it is a population level statistic. But the biggest issue is that we have turned that into an individual one. And mm-hmm. we've turned it into something where we take an entire population and we work out their BMI and we try and link it to things like health, uh, despite the fact that we're ignoring factors like socioeconomics and weight stigma and other things that we know massively impact health and, and outcomes. And the fact and that we, bones can be heavy and muscles are three times heavier than fat. And so therefore you can be a big muscular person with no fat anywhere near any of yep. your vital organs. And you can you be can. seen as like, on, you know, almost towards the obese. Like I wonder what Dwayne The Rock Johnson is. Oh, he's definitely I wonder what his BMI is. 100%. Yeah. He's like, it's like, it's going to be hugely high. Um, but that's the problem with taking it into an individual level statistic. And any statistic geeks that are listening would understand that you take a population level statistic and make it individual and it's pointless. You throw it out immediately. But we haven't done that with this and we've just allowed it to be used. And so, I mean, it's clearly, it's clearly rubbish when you go, well, your, your, your BMI is 24. You're fine. You're healthy. Karen is normal. Your BMI is 25. Oh shit. We need to start looking at whether or not you're diabetic, whether you need to go on some sort of plan. It's like my, your BMI might change from 24 to 25 overnight, depending on what you ate the previous day. So it's like this continuous scale that is suddenly blocked into chunks, which just makes no sense because our health doesn't work like that. We don't suddenly become unwell or unhealthy when something just tips over an edge. It's our health is so more, such more complex than that. It's just, and I've said this, I've said this a million times. I said this a million times, but at my lowest BMI, where I was being congratulated by all of my doctors, I was starving myself. I was drinking like dangerous, non-regulated drinks, taking shortcuts, over-exercising, not sleeping, drinking something like four litres of caffeine a day, thinking somehow that caffeine was speeding up my metabolism or making me more active. I was basically dying 
whilst being told by doctors that I was at the peak of my health because all they could see was a slim person. So they thought, well, that is a person who is in control. That is a person who is not lazy. This person is thin, therefore they must be diligent about their health. They couldn't have been more wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it, it's so infuriating. It is, it is something that, I mean, we talked about, we talked about some of the, um, some of the fact that the doctors are, are have this implicit and explicit bias um, in, in healthcare towards fat people. And, and the BMI is a way of justifying that. A BMI mm-hmm. is used as this nice value because we, as humans, forget doctors or, or non-doctors, just humans in general. We like putting things into categories. We like simplicity. We like this yes, no. Are you healthy? Yes, no. But health doesn't work like that. Like our, our body doesn't work like that. And we know that. We, we are taught so many different ways to be able to assess health, but we just, for some reason, still rely on the BMI and just take that and only that and use it as an excuse to not investigate people. The number of stories of people that have just, that, that have a BMI of a certain number and therefore are told, well, this is why you have this. This is why you have this symptom. This is why you mm. are, you know, you, this is why you've come to me. This is why you're in pain. One, one specific one, which I just, somebody who I, who I got to know through, through the internet, who, who went to her doctor with months of this abdominal pain, finally saw a specialist. And she said to him, she said, I'm, I, this, this pain is so bad that I just can't even eat. Um, which, you know, any normal human being would be like, well, we need to investigate this. This is about his response to her was, well, maybe that's not such a bad thing because she was fat. And so he had decided that he, his morals would completely go out the window. And it, I just, it blows my mind still that, that people who genuinely doctors want to help people like the vast overwhelming majority of them do. And I don't understand why that, that fact just completely escapes. And she ended up, she ended up being diagnosed with, with a bowel cancer and she's gone through surgery and she's got, and fortunately she oh went God. to a different doctor and she, she had somehow out of, out of, she doesn't know where it came from, but somehow she had this, this, this gumption to go back and yell at him and in tears, but yell at him and see someone else and was fortunate enough to be able to. And, she was properly investigated but yeah. she's just one example of of thousands if not millions of people who who are being who are getting substandard poor dangerous healthcare because we have this over reliance on a BMI and we're being lazy it's just laziness i know they are Real the lazy laziness. ones the doctors yeah. are the fucking lazy ones <laughs> um yeah i've got two friends who are now completely infertile because they, of their size, they, um, they did not have their gynecological issues or hormonal issues, uh, looked into. And by the time it was finally discovered, it was simply too late. And these symptoms had gone on for upwards of 10 years. And every time they would go to the doctor, they would be told that their pain or their symptoms or their weight gain, in spite of the fact that they weren't even eating very much, was their fault and that they just needed to work harder to be thinner. And therefore now these irrevocable changes have happened to their body. So it's infuriating. Talk to me about the dangers of, of dieting, please. It's something you and I talk about a lot online. We're quite relentless. (laughs) Well, it's it's something that this is a topic that I had zero insight in. And it's one of the, one of the the things that I, um, was one of the first things that I started vehemently challenging is this, this, um, assumption of just prescribing weight loss indiscriminately 
just, well, someone is certain size, we're going to tell them to lose weight. And when they come back to see us, they will have done that. And we just, we just assume that that is a, uh, we assume that that advice can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's simply not. Um, it's very rarely actually a positive for someone. And people like to bring out the individuals, the few individuals that somehow it has been a positive for them because life is complex and for some people it has. But we like to we like to bring those people out and put them on a pedestal and be like, see, you just need to work harder. But that's nonsense. They're these unicorns that for some reason we have no idea why they may have lost weight, how they've come through the other side with a better relationship with food, although I'd argue that most of them probably haven't and Mm -hmm. They're lying to themselves, but mm-hmm. that's a longer, a separate issue. Um, but for the vast majority of people, not only are this, is this dieting process not going to be sustainable, and we know that, we have so much evidence to show that, that when you take three, four years in the future after starting on a diet, pretty much everyone is back to the same weight they were, if not more. And ironically, Dieting is pretty much one of the biggest predictors of future weight gain, which seems so ridiculous. Well, lots of reasons. Um, One of which I think is because it impacts our relationship with food in such a bad way. So take the way that people tend to do it. And you, you, you touched on this already in regards to the way that we tend to look for quick fixes, right? We tend to look for things that will work as quickly as possible because it's an effort if and the reason it's an effort is because you're fighting your normal body's <laughs> wish to stay at the same kind of body size mm-hmm. because that's healthy and that's a good idea um but it's a lot of it's a struggle it's an effort it's it's anxiety inducing it causes you to have stress during the process you've got no flexibility you can't enjoy yourself with friends food loses its joy you end up like it's anyone that's dieted knows it's not a nice it's not a nice thing you're not a nice no, person to be around. nothing restrictive is good it's, for the brain. No, full stop. Yeah. And that's just the brain. Then you take the stuff around the body and it has impacts on the body in regards to increasing stress levels, which can do things to your blood pressure, which can... And then I know you like to talk about things like hormones as well. And one of one of the things, I, I love this as an example, one of the things is, is leptin. Leptin is this hormone that is produced from our fat and it, it, um, it helps us feel full. So the more, because our body is kind of this, this regulator, and so our body likes to stay around the same kind of size, this concept of a set point where we're, there's this kind of breadth of, of um, weight range that our body is most comfortable at if we're not trying to intentionally manipulate it. Leptin is produced by our fat cells and it helps us feel full. And so the more fat we have, the more leptin we have, and therefore the more full we feel. And so it's a way of our body regulating our body size. Um, we know that when we start dieting, when we restrict food, we restrict energy, those leptin levels fall massively. And it's just, again, that kind of makes sense. It's one of those things of your body is going, well, hang on a sec. It doesn't know you're deliberately trying to do this. It kind of thinks there's something going on that's wrong. So it increases your hunger by, by stopping the thing that's helping you feel full to get you to eat more food to stop you from potentially dying because that's what your body thinks is going on you're restricting mm-hmm. it you're starving it so your body's going ah uh-uh, this isn't happening so it it drops this leptin you then start feeling more hungry and i think this is fascinating low levels of leptin also increase your cravings for sugary food um so there's a 
there's a biological and scientific reason as to why we also crave these sweets and this chocolate and this, all of these kind of foods that we consider to be bad. And then we add on the whole added context of restriction and, you know, all this guilt and shame that we feel because we've labeled these foods a certain way. But your body is actually craving sugar because it's a good quick source of energy. And so that's just one thing that leptin does. But when you then start eating again, leptin levels kind of go back up. We've found that over the years, the more times you diet, put the weight back on, diet, put the weight back on, your leptin levels never go up as high. There's two things that happen. Either they never go up as high as they were originally. And so you're always feeling a bit more hungry than normal. Um, and we don't exactly know why, but it feels like a bit of a protective mechanism of the body to try and mean that you're you're always going to be eating a bit more so that you never go back into those periods of time again. But the second thing that can happen is you can become resistant to it. So the leptin levels can be normal, but you no longer actually recognize them. And so despite the fact that you have more fat and you're producing more leptin, you're no longer feeling that full effect of your body recognizing, well, this is what's going on inside. I have enough energy right now. I'm going to feel full. You become resistant to that, which that's just one hormone. There are loads of them, but that's just one. And it's one of the reasons why it's so much easier to gain weight and stay at a higher weight than it is to lose weight and stay at a lower weight. Because our body is hardwired to do that because one of them keeps us alive and one of them doesn't. The only thing that going down a lower weight deliberately does is fits the societal ideal of aesthetics. It's not a, it's not a prerequisite for health by any stretch of the imagination. And again, that's just one example of all of these complexities that are going on that means that you've got someone 10, 15 years who's been dieting over and over again. They're at a stage now, a lot of the time, where their body has reached a new normal, a new mm-hmm. set point, a, a almost always a higher set point. And they, and not only that, but your, your metabolism slows down a little bit as well after all of these dieting things. And so is that a real thing? Is that a real, is yeah. that a real thing? So yeah. metabolism slowing down? Like yeah, I've, so I've we, heard of metabolic damage and then I've heard some people like say, no, that's not real. And like so I've had I, doctors I, gaslight me about that. But <laughs> I think the word I, damage is, is, it is a scary word. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that's a good right. way of describing it. Is it metabolic but, resistance? What is it? Well, what you're, you're, it? you become more efficient. And so because your body doesn't want to lose weight, your metabolism becomes more efficient and you therefore require less overall energy to stay the same weight as you would do if you hadn't have done all this dieting. So you take two people that are the same size, somebody who's dieted on and off for the last 10 years and someone who's never dieted, and that person who's never dieted can eat eat more overall and stay the same weight compared to the person that hasn't. So it's not necessarily damage and we don't have good research to know whether or not it, it kind of... Um, goes back to normal or not, but it feels like this protective mechanism where your body is just doing as much as it can to stop what you are intentionally trying to do because it knows it's not good for you. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to keep you at this higher weight because you are in general going to live longer and survive more. Ironically, if you're at a higher weight, if you become unwell, if you end up needing to go to ITU, if you have a chronic disease, a lot of the time being fatter actually helps your morbidity and your mortality. Because you have these energy reserves, your body uses them for a good reason. And yes, things can go wrong. But that's not, this conversation isn't taking place. It's not that there is no nuance 
being mm-hmm. had in these conversations. It's only fat is bad. It causes this. You're going to become unwell. You're going to get diabetes rather than why are we demonizing something that is normal, that is natural, that actually ironically is having the exact opposite effect of what people mm-hmm. think they want to do. If we were really wanting to actually reduce people's body size, which is not a good aim or goal, by the way, but if we were, all the evidence would say we should stop dieting because that's one of the biggest reasons why our body size in at an individual level, why our body size increases. So what, I mean, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I, I know I, I meant to get it, but this. I don't. Oh, I love <laughs> that you're saying this and, you know, and I so appreciate this because I try and talk about this all the time, but I also like very much so, you know this, I know my place on the internet as an actress with no schooling and no formal education in any of this. So I always defer to experts and it's just so nice to have someone come on and just uh, talk about these things in a way that I simply don't have the expertise to. I really appreciate it. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One of the words that started circulating from, from you uh, that first caught my attention and made me realise you had changed gear was the term nutribollocks. And I loved that <laughs> word. And I love how often you use it. And I love why you use it. Will you talk to me about what you mean when you say nutribollocks? And then can we just go through and just fucking annihilate some of these nonsense nutritional advices that exist out there together, please? Well, you've just defined it for me. But yes, we can. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So th- this is this is the second half of my book. Um, right. uh, kind of the, the first half is essentially my relationship with food. This is your book, food. food Isn't Medicine. My, yeah. Yeah. So you're you're a better PR person than I am. I need to say the, say the phrase. Um, the, the first half of the book is my kind of relationship with food, my story, talking about the complexity and the nuance around weight. And then the second half is why I think the phrase food is medicine is harmful. And all of these, all of this nutribolics that, that comes from a lot of these, these assumptions around not only our health, but our weight. Um, you love the word because you're British as well. And mm-hmm. bollocks is an incredible word. I love the word. The- it just feels very good to say, just bollocks. <laughs> so it, for, for, for the Americans among, among you listening who don't use the word bollocks in the same context, it essentially means nonsense. It means absolute bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it's not like the dog's bollocks. That's a way of saying something is incredible. I don't really understand. The language is weird. But basically, bollocks, nutri-bollocks, nutrition bollocks. So nutrition bullshit. Um mm-hmm. You'll have come across it, you know, keto diet, oh, nutrition oh no, bullshit. I once, I, we met, we first met because I once, uh, I once spread a bit of Nutribolux by accident. That's I, how we, that's, that was years ago. I, uh, yeah. someone, I had really bad eczema and people kept on saying, 
celery juice is really good and i wasn't aware of this medical medium cunt uh like i wasn't i didn't know sorry <laughs> no 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 it's the appropriate word uh, yeah uh, i wasn't i didn't know who it had come from or if it was some sort of like fad i wasn't replacing my diet with anything but i started adding celery juice to my diet every single day every single morning before i ate anything else as instructed by influencers on the internet who i was taking advice from about <laughs> eczema <laughs> and and i did notice a change so I just like, and, and like, so, and so I just posted a picture of my celery juice and loads of other people were doing it. So I didn't think it was anything damaging and dangerous. And celery just feels like such an innocuous, like nonsense water vegetable that I really felt like well, it can't be bad for anyone. But you slid into my DMs. You were, you were a little bit aggressive and rude. Uh, but, <laughs> but you, you like very firmly schooled me on like, why this is a dangerous new fad and who is behind this fad and why I should not have anything to do with it. And I really I was finding my it. feet. I was finding my feet yeah. in the manner in which I challenged some of this stuff. And I, yeah. no, I wasn't you, trying you to make friends with you. No, you definitely weren't. Uh, you definitely weren't. But I Look didn't shun now. you. But I didn't shun you because I really appreciated the fact that you'd informed me and I immediately like took that all down and responded in kind because I recognised I am not an expert. I am an actor and you are a doctor. And so I'm going to listen to you and not I also, put this I also shit think out. Secretly, it's because we're, we're actually quite similar people in terms of our personalities yeah a bit rude and so i think bit abrasive <laughs> but, but, deep, but, but deep down quite kind and just a bit damaged <laughs> yeah yeah true so so just getting getting to grips with with the um with the appropriate method of communication to get to the outcome you really wanted that that's what that's the way i was finding my feet and still still to this day uh, you know i mean we're all working on it right um, totally and um and when you so i remember when you when you were when you were telling me like you know why there's no like scientific proof that celery juice has any kind of impact on eczema, psoriasis or autoimmune conditions. And this, I mean, this person was telling you that you can cure your like cancer or something. Mm. There were people on the internet certainly saying you can cure your cancer with celery juice. Oh no, he, um, he has. The medical medium has. I, was, I wasn't yeah. sure. I didn't want to get sued, but yeah. I was no, no, no. That's he where calls it, it the most, most the, the strongest anti-cancer herb in his book. Don't worry. I've, I've looked these things up so that I know full well I can okay. tell, okay, tell him off for these right. things. So I, uh, I was arguing with you this is all in DMs. I was like, but you know, like I have literally noticed a change in my eczema uh, in the last couple of days. And, and you just like lay down some facts about multiple different variables that could have caused that. And the fact that I cannot simply just attribute that to five days of celery juice and that and the amount of different things that you were able to go into all the variables that that could have actually led to that change or i mean even placebo effect all of these different things are true but it's yeah. very irresponsible for me to and that was just like a big wake up call because i at the time was telling other people off for not promoting diet shakes obviously those terrifying laxative shakes are worse than a juice mm -hmm. but still i was complicit in the nutribolics spreading on that day i never did it again so thank I, to, you for that. To be fair, so oh, you're, you're you're most welcome, and I, I'm glad that we are still talking despite my mannerisms on uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're all we're all, like I used to do it. I used to spread the crap too. Like th this is 
you know, I mean, I had a, I had an account called Unfattening. Of course I did. I don't know whether my account was called that when I first contacted you or not. I don't know at what stage my, my it, social media journey. I don't know. I don't know. I, I actually don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I remember thinking it was a bit rich. I was like, this is this, <laughs> this, is this prick who's like upsetting all of my mates online. And all of my, you know, friends who are fat liberation activists are like complaining about this guy. I was like, and he's li- like lecturing me in my DMs, but you were just serving straight up facts and I couldn't <laughs> argue with it. And so I, you know, I, I sat down. I took my place as someone who isn't an expert, doesn't have a right to be spreading any information nutritionally uh, about. And now the only advice I ever spread is that don't take advice from influencers or actresses or anyone, <laughs> anyone who isn't like specializing in this subject. Um, anyway, okay, so celery juice. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's it's a nice vegetable that's it um yeah. it, it the, the whole the, the claims around it complete bullshit like i just don't this medical medium guy like are we we're not gonna get sued by him i mean he can try and send him my way um mm-hmm. he, he's just he's a complete he is the definition of a charlatan like the very definition he has zero training in anything health related but he started and again i'm i'm someone who's who who calls himself a christian and does weird hocus pocus stuff but i just don't don't talk to other people about it but um he talks to spirits from the age of four and they tell him stuff that doctors don't know yet is is his justification for this stuff um and so they told him about celery juice and how it cures cancer and how it cures autoimmune diseases and how it cures skin conditions and i have no idea how he's managed to suck in people like sylvester stallone and katie perry and and probably people you're friends with as well which is gwyneth paltrow yes i mean she's gone down her own road of nonsense woo um but i but he's gained this massive following just promoting made up shit like it's not even it's not even slightly true like he's he says that there are magical salt crystals in it that that are only there if you juice it if you put it in a blender or you eat it whole it doesn't work so you have to be able to afford a juicer you can also yeah exactly and also <laughs> there are oxalates that can be there are like that sometimes they can be very heavy in oxalates is that correct and then that can sometimes be something that isn't necessarily very good for you depending on your kidney function I've, I've spoken to other doctors about it since and they've just explained to me just what a load of shit that is all right yeah. keto go <laughs> keto diet please why everyone why? is fucking talking about it it's just oh, the Atkins not why do you like why would you do it it yeah. is. It's it's the bastard cousin of the of the Atkins diet in the in the politest of terms. Um, it, it's look. It's f- from a medical perspective, it's fascinating in the fact that when you stop eating carbs, mm-hmm. your body stops being able to use glucose as its main source of energy. And this is the mm-hmm. source of energy it wants to use. This is normal. Your brain lives off glucose, which is why whenever you cut carbs out your diet, you feel mentally so shit for a while it's because your brain is going i need glucose please give it to me and you're you're starving it so it has to work out how it's going to get energy instead and it gets energy through ketones and ketones are broken down from fat and so all the fat you eat because you're eating fat because you're not eating carbs gets broken down into energy and you you use it that way cool so what like your body has found a way to survive because you're refusing to give it food that it wants it's not a thriving thing. It's a surviving thing. And we, well, I don't know why we would be wanting to do that, except 
for the fascinating thing that for some people, especially pediatric refractory epilepsies, this is the thing where um, refractory tends to be a term where we've tried multiple different drugs and these kids are having multiple seizures a day and there's nothing that can be done that can, that can actually try and reduce them. The keto diet, a very medical strict one, can has shown some benefit, not in everyone, but in some, but nobody can stick to it. That's the other thing is that the kids don't like it because it's, it's horrible. But it has this fancy effect on the brain in a, in a seizure perspective. But for any other context, you're putting yourself through hell for no good reason. Um, and the vast majority of people that are doing it aren't actually even eating few enough carbs or enough fat to be actually in ketosis, which is the whole argument in the first place. So basically they're just doing an Atkins diet. Um, yeah, and, and can we talk about some <laughs> of the dangers from the keto diet, aside from the fact oh, yeah. that it can lead a lot of people into disordered eating? Because there are some people who are so, and I'm definitely someone who would have considered myself that person even just as little as six years ago. Um, I think I would have said that, you know, when you're talking about, oh, it's just a miserable existence, it's just hell. I would have been like, I'm willing, I'm willing to go through mm, the hell to be yeah, thin. We justify it's worth it, it right? it's worth it. Right. So talk to me about the actual implications, like the the health implications and the reasons why the fact that other than the fact that it's just a bit of a nightmare, which some people are willing to make that sacrifice for, especially yeah. those who are very dedicated and skilled at eating disorders. Um, I'll, why I'll is give it you bad? three. Gone. Um, so number one, uh, you are going to almost guaranteed to be deficient in certain nutrients when you do it, because it is so, so hard to get enough nutrients through it because you're not eating very many vegetables that you're going to end up deficient in some vitamin of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, also shitting very, uh, irregular. (laughs) I was going to get to that. That's that's, that's number three. Number two, um, (laughs) is that you are almost guaranteed, almost definitely guaranteed to increase your heart disease risk. Because no matter how well supposedly you do it, and again, remember this, this is, this was designed as a very strict medically induced diet, which is very hard to do in the and general And monitored population. by doctors, not monitored yeah, with yeah, an app. With blood tests and all sorts of things. Cookies, yeah. <laughs> um, your, your, your cholesterol levels almost always increase um, because of the amount of saturated fat that you tend to eat, whether you want to or not. And th- mm-hmm. that's not a myth. Uh, I know that's become a thing that people are claiming as a myth recently, that saturated fat is a lie and it's just this it's food industry bullshit. No, it's, saturated fat increases your your LDL cholesterol, which is the one that you don't want to increase. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so why? why? Like, it's, it's just not good. Um, you're increasing your heart disease risk. If you do it for any prolonged period of time, it's a bad idea. Um, and then thirdly, you're not having any fiber. And so no wonder your bowels are screwed. <laughs> like your fiber is so good for you. It is the main thing that keeps your gut healthy. And it your your body, your your the the um the bacteria your largest in your gut organ, break down. Like your digestive system, yeah. like all of that that yeah. makes up your lar- largest organ and it's responsible for so much of your general health. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, everything is related in your body. All of the different, the, all of the different systems in your body uh, speak to each other. When you, when you're anxious, you get butterflies in your stomach. Like, there's a reason this stuff is linked. Um, and you don't have any fiber. Your your gut isn't able to break down what it usually uses for 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 keeping the um, the cells of the colon healthy. And do it for a prolonged period of time and you're increasing your risk of colon cancer along with the fact that your bowel is just going to not be functioning very well and people will have either constipation or diarrhea or so it's it's why why those are three as far as i'm concerned very good reasons as to very why reasons. you should have carbs in your diet also a lot of <laughs> the a lot of the weight it. you're losing as i you know referenced earlier is just the fact that i think 
carbohydrates yeah, time and, and time to, again you know to to bind to water i don't know but like you're yeah. just losing water because you don't have carbohydrates in your system so a lot of that and and every single friend that i have who has done the keto diet which i would say is like 80 percent of my peers have tried it they all gained all of the weight back and more at at a wildly alarming speed because of course they're introducing carbs carbs are want water you know are you know carbs stick to water that's the most layman's way that anyone's ever said that before so sorry but um but (laughs) well let me uh, explain the water thing because it makes it makes sense so please your 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 muscle again just like your brain uses sugar and glucose your muscles store carbs in them so that you have energy if you need to use your muscles you know if you need to sprint suddenly and stuff like that your your body binds every one molecule of carbohydrate to four molecules of water so Mm -hmm. And water weighs a fair bit. So when you then step on the scales, again, it's not always a measure of fat. It's simply a relationship with the ground and gravity. You you weigh more the next morning if you eat carbs the night before. If you mm-hmm. have a good relationship with your body and, and the scales are something you're able to step on without it being harmful, it's a fun little experiment. After a high carb meal at night, you'll weigh more in the morning. It's just fact doesn't mean that anything has happened that is bad and you need to go on a diet or this or that. But the same works the other way around. If you stop eating carbs, your body will use the carbs out of your muscles because it wants carbs from somewhere. It tries to keep going as much as possible with the glucose. Because again, remember, your brain wants it for fuel. Mm. And so you end up losing all this water weight because you're removing the carbs from the muscles. The water has to go with it. You pee the water out and you lose all this weight magically in the first week. And you're like, oh my word, it's incredible. Yeah. And then, and then you put you, when you start eating carbs again, your body goes, well, thank goodness, sticks it all back into your muscles and you put all this weight back on, but it's yeah. just water. And the reason that all those people came off that diet, even though it was, you know, maybe making them thinner at speed is because they developed brain fog, terrible headaches, health implications. Some of them had issues with their gallbladders because of how much fat there is. I can't say specifically what, but um, they uh, and their mood was very, very low. Like a lot of them developed kind of something that felt akin to depression because there was a chemical imbalance in their brain from the fact that they were doing something that was kind of like killing your brain slowly. Well, again, imagine, imagine if you had, uh, imagine if you had, or let's do, do something that you're doing at the moment. Imagine if you were going to one of your workout sessions to, Mm -hmm. to try and bulk up for, for your Marvel movie Mm -hmm. and you hadn't eaten any food for two days. There's no way you would be able to do the session, right? You just wouldn't be able to function. I've never eaten more in my life. The keto diet and the brain is the same thing. Your brain lives off glucose for energy. If you don't give it glucose, your brain is going to feel like shit. And so that's not, that's not a surprise, but it's something that is justified, right? It's, it's called like the key, even has a name, the keto flu, where people feel like crap for a week. And the argument is you just need to push through it. Don't worry. Just push through it until your brain gets used to the ketones. Why, why do we justify, I mean, I know why, but why do we justify this, these things that make us feel so bad that are doing us such harm? It's all in the pursuit of thinness because we just, we don't care what, what is happening along the way. As long as we get to this, oh my word, I feel better because I'm thin now. And now my life is fixed. And then, oh, hang on a sec. No, it's not. And oh my God. Oh, now I've put the weight back on. Oh shit. I should try the next thing. Like, let's go for intermittent fasting next instead. Yeah, like, talk to me about intermittent fasting. <laughs> Segway. Um, 
Yeah, uh, privileged starvation is 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 what I would call it um, because <laughs> because it is. <laughs> that's <laughs> like I, 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 I haven't found anyone that, oh, that's God, been able that's to argue so, why it's not. That's so embarrassing and funny. I love that privileged there, there starvation. Are people, there are people who who don't get to eat because they can't afford to eat, or they yeah, don't have the time, or this or that. It, yeah, and you're making it a wellness fad, like. You've just you've just decided that you're going to skip a meal of the day because it's cool to do so now. It's privileged starvation. That's what it is. You don't need all this stuff about because you'll, you'll notice that a lot of these things have changed from weight loss being the sole reason why people are told to do it to like health being the reason or wellness yeah. being the reason. And so intermittent fasting is sold on this like it's really good for your body and aging and your cells and cancer. It's all bullshit. You don't need to do, do that. Do we do we know that it's? Can I just ask? Like, do we know that it's bullshit? I'm not. No. Some, I don't do intermittent fasting. I'm just yeah, asking. Yeah. There's no. It's it's as bullshit as going out and eating the mud outside is going to cure you for cancer. There's no evidence that it's true. And we we and is work that, is from that a, because studies have been done, or is that a lack of studies that have led to no? I'm just trying to like ask. Well, the, so two things. I'm trying, so yeah, great. One, we we've compared groups of people who intermittently fast and people who eat normally, mm-hmm. and there hasn't been any long term benefit to things like metabolic health, insulin, anything along those kind of lines. Right. So great. there's been no there's and there's there's one study that's that was going on for an entire year. So there's quite a long study of people following two cohorts of people. Um, there's that. And then there's also the fact that despite the fact that you would never hear people admitting this, we do not have a way um, of measuring what's known as autophagy. So this is this thing that gets sold as the magic of intermittent fasting, um, which you may or may not have heard of. It's this I've thing never where, heard of that. So this, this, is, this is the argument for why we should all How be intermittent fasting. How do you spell supposedly. it? How do you spell it? A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y, autophagy, which means self-eating. And so when you when you fast your body moves nutrients around your around your body so it it moves nutrients from areas of your body that you don't need it to be there and it moves it to areas of your body it does that's again a survival mechanism because it's like well, we don't have any food at the moment we need to re move stuff around and that's one of the roles of autophagy but one of the other roles is to remove cells that are dying and and help kind of regenerate things and so people have gone oh autophagy it must do this one too. And so it must be good for your cell health and for cancer and this and that. There's no evidence for any of that. And the reason there's no evidence for any of that is because we cannot measure autophagy. So these people are literally just making it up and presuming this stuff and then selling it, selling this as a fact when all of the studies have shown that there's no benefit. And we also already intermittently fast every single day Unless you have a problem, you sleep overnight. In the morning, it's called break fast because you are breaking your fast overnight. We all intermittently fast. Our bodies do that already. We don't need to create another period of intermittent fasting during the day. It's not been shown to have any benefit to us. And all it is is you're refusing to allow yourself to listen to your hunger cues if you don't want to eat breakfast, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. It's people and is that who going are, to start triggering all that leptin uh, nonsense you were talking about? Well, not well, that you were talking nonsense, but is that going to start, like if you keep going through prolonged periods of food? And I mean, I mean, people aren't just mm. doing these kind of like, 
you know, there's all kinds of different intermittent fasting. And I've had to learn this because I've had to mm. go and find out about all these fucking apps. Like it's, a, it's the biggest rise. I feel like it's taken over keto now where um, TikTok every 15 seconds, sometimes people are getting ads for intermittent fasting in between these videos, of very, very thin teenagers dancing. It's very, very like clever and manipulative uh, way of advertising. And everyone's talking about it. I don't see that side it. of and TikTok, there are fortunately. And there are different, there are different forms of, um, intermittent fasting where some people do it for, I don't know, like they fast for eight hours or 16 hours or Mm, 24 hours or 36 hours. Some people even go so far as to do 48 hours, um, which just feels so insane to me. So when you are fasting for these kind of long, let's say the kind of more 21 to 20, 21 to 36 hour periods, are you triggering the leptin response you were talking about earlier? I, I don't know. Um, right. You're definitely but triggering you, but a bunch of stuff. you can start to disrupt your hormones. Well, yeah, you could do. I mean, you're, you're definitely triggering a bunch of stuff because that's a prolonged period of time where your body's expecting food. Right. So, you know, there are some people who, who uh, you know, would do that during, during like an ultramarathon or something, or they would, they would do that because they don't have the choice to do so. And so they just, they work very well eating every few days, for example, because that's, that's the situation they live in and their body's got used to it. But that's not where, that's not where our body has its optimal function. And if mm. these people are really pursuing this, this health, then, then we need to fuel our bodies consistently. Like there's no, there hasn't been shown to have any added benefit to doing this. So if you want to do it, sure. But there are so many side effects and so many downsides here. And again, one of the main ones is your relationship with food. Like, why would you wreck that? Why would you screw that up? Why would you deliberately ignore your hunger cues? Like, there's a reason why this stuff is important. And we're just completely ignoring what our body wants and refusing to feed it because, because why? Like, there isn't a good reason. There are so many things in life you could do, but if there isn't a good reason for them and all it has is the risk of something harmful, why are we doing it? Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. To benefit a minority of wealthy, greedy people who have created a lie, created a problem that they are then selling you a cure for. Mm. That problem didn't exist. They invented fatness or any kind of body fat or any kind of different body shape as a problem and further proof of that is the fact that the desired body shape changes every 10 years yeah so they must have been talking shit before i mean the fact that the key one of the reasons that the keto diet has become successful is so ironic to me that one of the things that they are using to justify why the keto diet can be a good thing is because they are criticizing the former mass information that we should all be on a low fat diet where we should eat very little fat, which is also not good for you. It's not good to restrict fats completely from your diet. So now the the keto kind of crew are saying, well, mainstream uh, mainstream conversation was that we should have low fat diets. They were wrong. We actually should have very high fat diets. They're actually utilizing the fact that everyone was wrong for about 15 fucking years in mainstream uh, culture and society. Yeah. So 15 years from now... It's very likely they're going to come back just like they did after the Atkins diet, after loads of people (laughs) developed heart problems after the Atkins diet and ended up gaining the weight times 10. And I think the guy who invented the Atkins diet died of heart problems, did he? I can't he remember. Did, but but, yeah. but again, I, that might be may, may or may not have been yeah. related. Yeah, Fine. yeah, yeah. Um, just the irony of that. Is, he does. Uh, I know. It feels ironic. Me. But, um, but yeah. Anyway. So, um, but I. Uh, so we don't know that in fifteen years are they going to say actually we were uh, wrong again. 
And Simon and the Atkins diet this time actually very, very unhealthy. Is that it it wasn't, a a lot of them will blame nutritional guidelines from the government for the low-fat craze. The irony of that is the the government guidelines never actually said that. The people that promoted the low-fat craze was the diet industry at the time. Mm-hmm. It took it took a small amount of advice, which was at the time the government guidelines were we should probably reduce our amount of fat very slightly in our diet because we want to increase carbs and we want to reduce saturated fat and all this kind of stuff. It was good advice at the time. And they, they took, took it and, ran with, and it. ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you ended up with these low-fat everything. It was low-fat dressings, low-fat yogurt, low-fat cheese, low-fat like meat. And we're just ignoring all of the fat, which was wasn't a good thing no, um, and no. a lot of the time the main reason it wasn't a good thing is because it just got replaced with things like sugar um and so you had all these yogurts that were just then high sugar low fat that wasn't healthier for your teeth or for anything else so like that you know just because we the diet industry got it wrong again surprise surprise it's not a justification to now go eat all the fat all the time like w- what's so hard about balance like I think it's sexy. I don't know why. I don't know why people don't think this advice is sexy advice. It's good advice. Like eat some carbs, eat some fat, eat well, some it's protein. Because we because we <laughs> see vir- we see virtue in punishment. This is what scares me about intermittent fasting: the idea that you feel that hungry feeling. And you start to look at, and I really, really used to relate to this with anorexia, that that hunger, that weakness made me feel virtuous. It made me Mm. feel as though I am a disciplined, stronger person for that feeling, as that I am resisting this feeling. I am losing fat and I'm getting healthier as this, like this, this is not the feeling of my body literally telling me it's, it's dying. This is the feeling of, uh, benefit. This is a smug, there was a smugness to my starvation. And that can happen very easily with the intermittent fasting, you know, whether you're doing it for weight loss or whether you're doing it for these like false health benefits, the, to start to put virtue on restriction of food is, is a such, is such a slippery slope into yeah. eating disordered behavior. And, and an eating disorder doesn't just have one look. You don't have to be completely emaciated to be someone who has an eating disorder. You can literally be a very large person and still have an eating disorder, a restrictive eating disorder, not just yeah. the kind of eating disorder where you're overeating or, you know, binging, et cetera. Um, because e- we eating think disorders of don't discriminate eat- by no. size. They don't discriminate by size, age, gender. They can come to you at any time in any way and they don't have to necessarily impact your body because we all respond to restriction of food differently. And so Mm. it's just something that I feel the reason I wanted you to come on here is because I think this is so important to stress that aside from all the health implications, we're suddenly becoming a little bit more health conscious because of this pandemic. I feel as though we're suddenly starting to talk about our immune systems and our sustainability Um, And so it feels like this is the right opportunity to take people and say, okay, fine, if you don't take your mental health seriously and the fact that this could be a slippery slope into a life of torture and hell, one that I have personally experienced, then will you at least think of your physical health and your actual ability to, to, uh, to withstand all of the different environmental things that are coming at us all of the times that are trying to, trying to you know we're not trying to but that can possibly impact our lives or take our lives will you at least listen to this doctor who's telling you that these things are factually dangerous and ineffective so i really appreciate you i thank you (laughs) one one last thing if i can Mm -hmm. is that 
I, I think a lot of this and some of this kind of justification of, of eating disorder behaviors and things like that, that, that we do, a lot of it stems, I believe, from our lack of understanding of the fact that health and weight loss are not the same thing. And so, and we've touched on that already, but I think it's, I think it's beneficial to, to say, well, so what does health actually look like then? Like what, what, what is this pursuit of health? If we're all wanting to pursue health and we're wanting to be focusing on our health and wanting to get healthier. And the first thing we go to is, well, I need to lose weight, but that's just, that's just incorrect. So what, what is it? And we know, we know deep down that it's the things that we do, not the outcome. If our weight changes, so what? It doesn't really make any difference. It's more what we're doing at the time. And we have this, if, if we have the ability and the privilege and the capacity to do so, there are behaviours that we can focus on that may or may not be completely in our control. A lot of them aren't, but there are things that we can, almost all of us can find something. And a lot of that is, is sleep, is nutrition, and that's balanced nutrition. That's focusing on nutrition, not focusing on food that you think isn't going to make you fat. It's, it's actual nutrition. Exercise, and again, separating weight loss from that you talked about that earlier with with the stuff that you're doing at the moment like you if you can find joy in movement and joy in exercise mm. it is it is so freeing i know you've been oh, doing yeah. some of those, some of those dance exercise. things yeah I, I do on my instagram i do dances just yeah. to make sure that people can snack during exercise so we don't look at it as a way to burn yeah. off calories and we can listen to disco and move our bodies in ways that don't feel painful and punishing but just feel yeah. joyous because I, they want to exercise for mental health benefits that's all i'm mm-hmm. interested in and i still don't even though i'm training and doing this job and uh, my body is sort of getting like bigger and more muscular um i still wear baggy clothes all of the time and i don't look in a mirror because i i just don't want to be involved in all of that. I really just don't want it to impact me. All I'm trying to monitor are the fact that from exercising much more than I ever have before with experts who are helping me do this safely, I am feeling really happy. Mm-hmm. Not because my body's changed because I really am not looking at that body, yeah, yeah. but because my mental health is just those chemicals that are making me feel better and less stressed and sleep better every single day. Yeah. Well, again, that that that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. That this stuff improve has the capacity to improve health, irrespective as to what happens to your weight. You're not losing weight at the moment. You're no. not. You're not. And and, and you know. You, so, but this is still making you feel good. Mm-hmm. And if we can find th- a way of introducing and focusing on these things, but the only way this stuff is going to be sustainable is if we can remove this pursuit of weight loss. And it's so much easier said than done, but it's really, really important. Like if we can actually remove the pursuit from the behaviors that we're doing, it takes time to remove the desire. It really does. Like I still struggle with that because I'm, I'm still young. I'm still living in a society that, that vilifies weight gain and, and puts this weight loss stuff up on a pedestal. And so I still have to check myself on a regular basis as to what I am doing and why I'm doing certain things. But it's the act of checking myself that means that I I'm able to focus on this stuff in a way, along with a lot of my privilege and my capacity, but able to focus on this stuff in a way that isn't for weight loss anymore. I used to try and get sleep surely only because I thought it was going to help me lose weight. That's not the point of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) sleep Sleep is really good for us, full stop. Like your sleep hygiene is great. It's got nothing to do with weight. Like, you know, the, the one time, the first time I remember 
craving vegetables and 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 it wasn't because I thought they were low calorie. I remember the first time that I was like, oh, I just want a bowl of veg tonight. And it was so like freeing. It was like, oh my word, this is, this is what food should be. Where I was like, yeah. I was listening to Feel my body. I was like, my body wants veg. I haven't had much. Okay, cool. Not, well, I'm, I'm tracking it on my calorie app and it's telling me that I've only got this amount left. So I'm going to put veg in because that, that, that will, that will work. Like it was, it's such a nice feeling if you can get there and it's so worth the effort to get there so so worth it because it's, it's, it's there's so much joy in this stuff and we just don't have any joy in this stuff anymore where's no, this joy in, where's the joy in the food profit gone? of a minority of people i hate them so much <sighs> i'm gonna go after them for the rest of my life um okay uh, well before you leave um because you're a very busy actual real life doctor um will you tell me uh dr joshua Walrich, what do you weigh uh, so they, they sound cheesy, but, but they are the things that they're I always feel cheesy matter. and that's yeah. what I love. Um, um, as of recently, uh, I am a fiance, um, oh, sure. Congratulations. which is, which is exciting. Um, yeah. uh, I'm a son, like I love my mum. Um, I, I am a doctor and I am proud of that. And, and that's something that at times I haven't been, but I am now I'm reaching a point where I'm proud of it again, which is cool. Um, and, and I'm a friend. Uh, so those, those are the four things. Those are the things that I feel you have yeah. made me come up with on the spot, but they're quite nice. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And if I will impose one onto you, which I do sometimes, you are also a public example of change for the better and for the service of others and, and having the humility to do that in front of other people and to guide them towards their own change. And for that, I really appreciate you. And I hope that we stay in touch. And I hope everyone goes out and read your book, Food Isn't Medicine, where a lot of the things that we have touched on today are explained in such a humane and funny and approachable uh, way. So well done on that book. It's very, very good. And, uh, and I hope lots of people go out and buy it. And uh, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Yeah, fuck the diet industry. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh courage, resilience, empathy, and compassion. I'm strong and funny and bubbly and sweet and full of energy and I'm great at singing and writing. And I'm in the process of recovering from depression and anxiety and body dysmorphia. And it can be hard to deal with sometimes, but... I've managed to pull through up till now, and I know I will continue to do so. Thank you. Want to make mom's day? 
Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.